0: I begin today's podcast wondering if all of the elves from all of the shelves have been set loose in my recording studio. I tell you the thoughtful way my grandchild keeps her presence ever in my mind. I tell you the truth about doctors and evidently their right to thwart any rule. And I tell you the two different types of churches within Christendom and how they are more alike than you might think, all on the way to answering the question, who gets the love? Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. As I sat down this morning to work on my latest podcast episode, my headphones were on the floor. I have a hook upon which they normally hang. They always hang. They are never, never, never on the floor. Well, except for today. And in my chair was a block of wood that had been carved in such a way that when you blow into the end of it, it sounds like a train whistle. My microphone, which is on the end of an articulating boom arm and always sits above my desk, was about two feet off the floor, pointing under the desk. All the mic inputs on my audio controller had been changed. Not in any kind of purposeful way, but as if a troop of monkeys had been turned loose in my studio. Finally, several sound effects had been queued up on my sound pad. I really wanted to play them all for you, but I will spare you the assault to your ears. Wait, wait, did I just hear someone mumble, Dan, we're listening to your podcast. It's a little late to worry about an assault on our ears. Hey, that's harsh. I mean, it's fair, but it's still harsh. All of this mayhem in my office could be an answer to one of those prompts you see on the internet where someone writes something like, tell me you have grandkids without telling me you have grandkids. I believe that our four-year-old granddaughter, PJ, knows how much we love her and her sister, Clarissa. So in hopes of making our transitions more comfortable, our transitions when they leave, she makes sure that nothing is in the same place as where we put it originally. And I mean, I don't want to exaggerate. Nothing is in the same place. That way we have days, even weeks, sometimes months, in which we are looking for things or finding surprise objects in unusual places like the sock drawer, the shower, the coffee maker. It is her gift to us to ensure that we feel the presence of our grandkids always. At least, that's my theory. One of the things I enjoy with small kids is the unique verbal phrases they develop seemingly on their own. When our own daughter Kate was just about this same age as PJ is, one of her favorite phrases was, It's okay. I'm a doctor. She started using it in rather obvious ways. She would want to look at your teeth. And she would get a small flashlight and ask you to open your mouth. That seemed harmless enough, so you would comply. And suddenly realizing that to a four-year-old, look at your teeth means that the flashlight, both hands in their entirety, needed to be inside your mouth. When you protested, she would invariably say, it's okay. I'm a doctor. But this phrase rapidly grew in its use and meaning. So her mother would be, say, fixing dinner and Kate would drag a chair over to the freezer and open it up and then start to climb into the chair. And her mother would say, what are you doing? Kate would respond, matter of fact, like getting ice cream. Mother says, no, we're about to eat dinner. You don't need ice cream. Kate, not pausing for a moment in her search, then replies, it's okay. I'm a doctor. PJ, our granddaughter, has a couple of these, but the one that amuses me the most is probably the one I hear the most. Sometimes I pick her up at school and I ask her about her day as we're walking away from the school, and I've discovered that if I ask her, how was your day, that's way too amorphous a question for her, and she will invariably answer with, I I don't know. But if I ask her if she had fun at school today, she's far more likely to begin her answer with something like, yes. I had all the fun. Now, she loves this phrase, and she'll use this phrase in anticipation as well. PJ, are you excited about going to the playground? And she will very likely say something like, yes, I'm going to have all the fun. She stayed with us this past weekend, and at one point it dawned on me, I've never asked her what she means when she says that. When I asked her if she had fun at school, and she says, I had all the fun. Does she mean that of all the opportunities that were available to have fun, she experienced them all? Or does she mean that every single time there was an opportunity to have fun, she made sure that it was her and only her that got to enjoy it? Now, to be honest, there really isn't any point in asking the question or trying to get her to define her intent because All the fun probably just sounds exciting to her four-year-old ears, and she likely hasn't gone any further in pondering its larger meaning. But it did get me thinking about the Christian church. (laughs) I mean, obviously, right? Just as all children would be in favor of having fun, pretty much all Christian churches will be in favor of proclaiming boldly the love of God. God's love isn't just confined to one denomination or type of church. As far as I'm aware, every Christian church in some way or another boldly proclaims that they are the conduit for God's love. Now, quick aside, when I'm saying Christian churches, I'm not implying anything about other faiths. I'm simply sticking to what I know. Now, what these different branches of Christianity mean by how that love gets shared, well, that can be pretty different from one church to the next. As far as I'm concerned, every single Christian church sees itself as the best avenue through which to experience God's love. Now, that doesn't mean that all churches see themselves as the only way to experience God's love, but most of them would say, yeah, I like best the way we do it. And what they mean by that can differ enormously from one church or denomination to the next. Some churches see themselves as the gatekeepers— God's love is being offered as the carrot to get people to change their lives. Accept our way of being and living, and you can come into the fold of our group, and then, and only then, you experience the fullness of God's love. Other congregations are far more, well, they're on the other end of the spectrum. They preach that God's love is created for everyone, and their job, well, their job is to proclaim the universality of that love as they offer it to all of humanity. Now, first of all, it's very easy to see just by the way I've described this where I land in terms of these. But admittedly, there is a flaw in my description. By my own description, you either attend a church, well, if you attend a church, that is either stingy with God's love or alternatively offering it freely to all of God's creation. Now, In my ministry, I have served a number of different churches, a number of different congregations. And I've served in churches that lean towards conservative and evangelical end of the spectrum. And I have served in very liberal and progressive congregations as well. And I will tell you this from my experience every church I have ever seen, regardless of what they officially say, has some group of people they unofficially, at least, exclude from God's love. Oh, they might not go so far as to say, These people are going to be sent to hell, but they have ways they make sure that particular people are not really welcome. Almost always, these are people who don't conform to their view of the world. And this is as true on one side of the theological spectrum as it is on the other. It may not be as immediately obvious in both types of churches, but it is still true, I believe, nonetheless. To me, the question here isn't really Are you the good guy or the bad guy in this scenario? Because that creates a false dichotomy, even though that's kind of where I started. Look, the Jesus that I understand from Scripture was about opening wide the gates of heaven, opening wide the gates of, well, God's kingdom, and inviting everyone, absolutely everyone, into the fold. In the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, Jesus says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people, everyone, to myself. The Gospel of Luke quotes Isaiah when telling of the ministry of John the Baptist and what the ministry of John the Baptist is going to point to, which obviously is Jesus the Messiah. Here's the quote that's used. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And all people will see God's salvation. That's Luke predicting the outcome of the Messiah's arrival. Now, some of you will no doubt want to send me a scripture quote or 30 that proves that not everyone gets into heaven. Only an elite few are going to get in, of which no doubt you are included amongst them. Amongst that elite few who are going to get into heaven. And if so, if that's where you stand, we already know where you fall in the spectrum, so you don't really need to send that email, right? So I guess this podcast is really intended for the people who boldly proclaim that God's love is indeed for absolutely everyone. The real question I ask you to consider is this. After you have boldly proclaimed that God's love is for everyone, do you secretly whisper to yourself or think to yourself or feel deeply in your heart except for, and then fill in the blank. If you do, when you acknowledge that, then you've begun a journey because that group held in reserves really says more about you than it does the nature of God. Now, I know it's easy at this point to say, okay, got it. God's love is pretty much for everybody. But what about bigots, thieves, racists, murderers, con artists? Yes. Yes. What about them? When I was in seminary, there was a very transformative moment for me. We were having a conversation along these lines, talking about God's love being for everyone. And someone said to the professor, what about Hitler and Mussolini? The professor did a very Jesus-like thing. And didn't answer the question directly, but turned the question in the way Jesus would have. The professor didn't flinch, but reminded us that there's a purpose to such a question. When we ask about the worst of the worst not being allowed into heaven, we are really just trying to reinvent the system where some get in and some don't. And we can then feel smug in the knowledge that somehow we are in the group that, by being on the right side, have earned our way into heaven. Look, if you're a Christian and you want to believe in the idea that salvation is for a select and exclusive few, then you don't need to do much. You probably have a sense of security. You're in, and you can rest on Easy Street. But if you want to believe in a God that loves, welcomes, and accepts everyone, well, let me just tell you that belief is a lot of work. It's worth it, but it's a lot of work. That doesn't just happen naturally. Nor easily for any of us, and will require constant vigilance to make sure that you remain true to God's nature and not your own. That's all for today. If you'd like to get in touch with me to ask a question, suggest the topic for a future episode, or just tell me what you thought about this episode, I would love to hear from you. My email address is dan at skypilot.zone. Dan at sky dot zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions seek answers and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.